Welcome to Kingdom Life Church, Stellenbosch. May this life-giving word activate your faith today. This morning, I want to continue with our sermon series that's called DNA. Now, about two years ago, God gave us the grace to plant this church. And, and I said this last week. I'm going to say it again so that it falls in our hearts. You'll see all our values on the walls here today. But what is it all about? Who are we? And that's what all the, the sermon is all about. We need to speak about our DNA. And, and when we speak about our DNA, DNA is a chemical that's in our body that has got all the elements that, that's all our character, how we look, your skewed nose, your skewed tone, everything is, is in your DNA. And if I take your DNA and I make another one like you, then it would look exactly the same. And that's why we want to know what is our DNA as a church family? What is our values? What is our core values as a church? About two years ago, I sat with the Lord, and the Lord gave me a specific scripture. Why? Because I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, I need a scripture. I don't just want from a feeling and from um, a want to plant a church. I want to plant a church because you've given me word. You've given me a direction to plant a church. And God gave us this scripture. John 1, verse 4 to 5. And it says the following. It says, In him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and darkness did not comprehend it, did not understand it. And I sat with that scripture, and God said to me, Henny, that's what I want you to do. I want you to shine your light. I, I want you to bring life, and I want you to shine your light, and I want you to ignite something in the lives of people. And that's why we got to the three core pillars or core values that we have. And out of the three core values, life, light, ignite, God gave us six values that flows out of the three pillars of our values. The one is from life. Life activates something inside of us, and it brings something. To activate God's identity and authority to impact society and to bring transformation based on two very important things, grace and love. Grace and love. The second pillar was light, to empower and to build. Now, to empower the saints to reach the lost with the gospel of Christ and to take the risk to reach the world around us. And then number two is to building a, a compassion culture that touches a town, a nation, and a world. And then the third pillar is to ignite, to worship, and to equip. And, and, and that's why worship, you'll hear, we really trust God that worship will be a, a, one of those defining things in our church. We really do. Because God gave us a word. We woke up my wife more than two years ago and said that through this church, through this church plant, worship will be an igniting factor. And it's, he said to, to Salome, he said, worship is there to ignite the change of Stellenbosch. Oh, sorry, to ignite change in the atmosphere of Stellenbosch through worship. And there's sometimes worship shifts atmospheres when we Place a worship song in, play a worship song in our car, in our house, and when you're down and you just start worshiping, what happens? Something shifts. And that's why we believe that God has called us to shift atmospheres, not in Salambosh, in a region, in a country, in a world, through worship. And then number, the last one is to equip others to grow in a relationship with God. We need to do that. Otherwise, we're just going to play church. Otherwise, we're going to do nothing, but we need to equip the saints for the work of ministry, Ephesians 11. But not only that, but to... to to disciple others and then for those others and for you to minister as you grow. See, we're not a church where the pastor only walks around and preach and you only see the pastor's name and photo. I want you guys to preach and to minister and to be prophetic. That's, we want to be an empowering church where we see how people are equipped with the goodness of God. Amen. Now today, 
We are at number four. We have the fourth value in our second pillar. And we're going to look at build, to build, building a compassion culture in our town, in our world, in our region, a compassion culture. Now, I believe as Christians, we always need to ask this. We always need to ask this. How can I make an impact? How can I make an impact? It's a good question to ask. How can I make an impact in my friends' lives, my school, my business, my family, my wherever you are in your life at this moment, wherever you spend most of your time, how can you make an impact there? It's a good question. How can I make an impact in my town? How can I make an impact in my business? How can I make an impact in my social group? Because we all are in different social groups every day. If you're young, if you're old, you work, you don't work, it's very important. But how many times in our culture today do people or organizations depict your decisions? Have you realized that? How many times people choose for you what to choose? See, the culture around us every day tells us what is worth our interest and what is worth our attention. They do. And I'm going to prove it to you this morning. But before I get there, can I define culture quickly? What is culture? What is culture? In the, in the Oxford Dictionary, it says it's the ideas, the customs, and the social behaviors of a particular people or society. But listen to this one. Listen to the Webster's Dictionary of Anthropology. Ooh, it's very important. The sum total of ways of living built up by a group of human beings and being transmitted from one generation to the other. Isn't that awesome? See, it's a way of living that is trans transmitted from one generation to the other. It's not a virus. It's a culture. But a culture is almost like a virus. It grows and it grows and it grows. And that way of living are just um, given over from generation to generation. My kids will do the same stuff that I've done when they wake up because they see me do all those things every day. That's why I need to be very careful what I do around my kids because I want a generation to grow, not to stagnate. <laughs> it's very important. Now, that is what culture is. Now, see, cultures, um, sorry, culture in a way defines us as people. It does. It defines us as people. And it's almost a code we live by as, as individuals. Now, in South Africa, uh, it's, it's a, different, a different picture. <laughs> why? Because we've got so many cultures in one country. 11 official languages with more languages that's not even official yet. And we've got cultures together, and the problem with that is we, when people realize that they start misunderstanding each other because they misunderstand the culture. And then you get conflict and polit political turmoil, and that's how powerful cultures is. Just speak to, to married couples. I have a few friends who's been married from interracial marriages or from different cultures, and they, tell, they will tell you how tough it's been in the first few years getting to know each other's cultures. Being married to a person with a different culture. I, when I did my, my, um, um, my postgrad in, post in theology um, through, through Stellenbosch, actually I stayed in UCT, I did my, my, my practical at UCT campus, and I lived in a house with 13 guys with 10 different cultures. 10 different cultures. And I think I spoke about it yet. And I had to wake up with a cause a friend of mine, and he's one of my best friends today, and he had to train, teach me how to work these things. And I, 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 I learned about Ubuntu, and I learned about this, and I learned about that, and, and it revolutionized my life because I realized that I live in a country with diverse cultures. That's why we call it the Rainbow Nation. 
You see, culture is so powerful. See, cultures do change from generation to generation. It can change. Now, let me use an example. If I say the phrase, living the life, what comes to mind? Living the life. How would you define living the life? If I come to Kieran and I say, Kieran, you, man, you're living the life. What would it be? Was I driving the best car? I'm having the great, greatest house that I always dreamed about. I have the beach house. I've got this. I've got the best friends. I've, I've got the, the prettiest wife. Huh? You do? Yes. And <laughs> do you do? Yes. So I have to help the men here. <laughs> See, is that living the life? Now, when I grew up, it sounded the following. I have to, to study hard at school, at university. Then when I get out of university, I need to get a good job. And then when I have a good job, I can make a lot of money. And when I have a lot of money, I'll be happy. That's how I grew up. You have to work hard, then study. Then if you study, get a job. Work hard, get, make money, then retire, then die. I mean, that's, that's how the world depicts it, living the life. But nowadays, if you look at the generation about 20 to 30-somethings, um, I think that I'm, 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 I'm on the wrong side of 40 already, so I need to start learning from the 10 to 20s again. But from the 20 to 30s, they say the following, and it's actually proven. They say, for them, it's not about acquiring stuff. They like acquiring stuff, but not as much. They want to experience new things. They want to experience new things. They want the best adventure, and they want to travel to all the coolest places. And because of that, that is the dream for them. That is living the life. If you speak about friends now from 20 to 30s, young adults, how, how, and what, how many places in the world you've been to? And, and it's, it's scary if you look on Facebook where everybody has been, and because that's what they focus on. That's living the life, traveling, having the best experience, pasting on Facebook when I was on the top of the mountain so I can show people the adventure that I had. See, cultures has, differ, has, has changed from time to time. Now, ultimately, it's a culture that's looking, this culture is a culture that's looking out for themselves, all about me. It's all about me. How can I get How can I get bevredigen? Oh my goodness, where's my English today? How can I be, help me, satisfied? There we go. How can I find satisfaction in everything that I do as quick as possible? Now, our society teaches us that, that we need to be successful at any cost. At any cost. You need to be successful. You need to have that job. You need to make money. You need to have that car at any cost. See, the pursuit of the dream life today is the pursuit of personal gain to get all, to experience all while there is still time. Make sure that you live. Now, I know, I always say, man, you need to live for today because you don't know how long you will live. And that's a, that's a godly principle. We need to live for today, but, this, but the, the, the culture of today said, I need to experience as much as I can so that I can be as wise as I can be. You know, it's, it's so much of this culture that I'm still learning and still thinking about. Now, I said, let me prove it to you that we're not making our own decisions. Now, if you go to Facebook, Google, all these platforms today, this is how it works. Over time, you, you go and you search for things on Google and you search for things on Facebook and you do all those things. Now, with all those info that you search for, it is gathered. 
every day. So if I search for cookies every day on, on Google, then guess what? All those information is loaded up into a software program and all the software experts with, with Google and Facebook, they build a suggested feed for you. And that suggested feed, they deem that important for you. They decide that is important for you. Even nowadays I heard that, that I can leave my phone on the counter in a, in a coffee shop and we can speak about cookies. And, and then the next day I get ads of cookies on my Facebook feed. It's like, how did that get there? And it's actually quite scared. Scary to know. You see, somewhere along the line, I always say somewhere, Facebook, Google decides what we want to see and they depict what moves you? And the scary thing is that somewhere there's a soft little young software engineer sitting making all the decisions for us and what is important for us to know. <laughs> Isn't that scary? We can't make our own decisions. They make the decision for us. They lead us. That's the way of marketing. And if you're in marketing, then you know that you can actually help people to make a decision. You can. That's the scary thing of our culture today. Now let me start this, this message today with a question. What will move us to act in our culture today? What will move you to act within, inside that culture? Now let me give you an illustration. There was one day there was a story of a, of a house in the middle of the city burning, flames all over. And, and they know that the parents who got out, everybody got out of the house, oh no, sorry, the, um, everybody in the house passed away except there was one child in the upper room and the flames were bursting out and everybody was watching in the street all those flames and the kid is there in, fr in front of them at the window. Nobody could get the child out. And as everybody was watching the child almost, well, literally going to burn to death, a man came running up through the crowd and he saw a pipe, steel pipe going up on the side and he climbed the pipe, got the kid on his neck and as he was about to climb down, that pipe was steaming hot. And he climbed down and he burned everything that he had coming down, saving this child. And the people were so happy and they cheered the man on. And two, three days after that, in court, they had to decide who's going to adopt this child. Because a very wealthy family in town and the family passed away. The child was the only survivor. And the farmer came up and he said, I will adopt the child. I can learn him from farming. I can help him to organize himself, build his own farm. And, and then the teacher interrupted and said, no, no, I will adopt the child because I'm a teacher. I will teach the child anything that he, they, they need to know to be a well-educated man when he grows up. And then the richest man in town stepped and said, no, I will adopt the child. I can give him everything his heart's desire. I can give him a farm. I can help him get him the best teacher. I'm the, I'm the right person to adopt this child. And then suddenly a man from the back came up and he stood in front of the child and he showed his burning hands that saved the child three days ago. And the child gave a screech and jumped into the man's arms, never let go, to never let go. And the man adopted that child. Why? Because the man gave his life. He gave everything to save that child while everybody was watching. See, looking at the story, I believe that God is calling us to live a life us to live life according to, to a different culture, to a different culture, the different culture than we are used to live. You see, our lives have to make an impact. It has to. I don't know about you, but every morning I wake up, I say to myself, my life has to make an impact. 
I can't just stroll through life not doing anything significant. Now, I'm not saying you need to conquer a nation, or, but, but sometimes just to raise a child is something significant. That's making an impact. Sometimes, I mean, I can go on and on and on. Now, how do we do that? How do we make a truly impact? Now, for that to happen, we need to look at an ingredient. Now, I read the word the other day, and I, I ran across an ingredient that I believe if you have that ingredient in your life, then you would make an impact in any culture you step into. And the greatest man who showed us that ingredient was Jesus. Was Jesus. Jesus had a lasting impact on a culture that he was born into. Now Jesus was born into a Jewish culture. Now the Jewish culture, the Jewish nation that time was ruled by the Roman Empire. Now the Romans was not... We, we say in Afrikaans, they were really, yeah, they, they, were, they were not Ayoba. <laughs> they, were, they, they were bloodthirsty. They came in, they conquered, they suppressed, they did everything. They, I mean, they, you could live underneath. They came and take your country and then they ruled over your country. Now, the Jewish laws were still very strict. The Jewish laws. And the Romans didn't really care about the Jewish laws as long as they were in line. As long as they acted accordingly to the, to the, the Roman leadership. Now, when Jesus' ministry started to make an impact, in that first, three, that, that first year or two when Jesus started ministering, his ministry started to make such an impact that it, he started making waves in that culture. And because he, he made such an impact, not a lot of us know this, that some towns didn't allow Jesus in. He did, they didn't allow him to come back or to come into the town because he's going to make too much waves and they're going to have to steer through this culture that they need to submit under. And they couldn't afford Jesus coming messing up things or messing up the, the peace that they have. In their, they have to sit under Roman leadership and under law, and they don't want to make waves, so Jesus, please don't come. We want to protect our culture that we're in. Now, why was that? See, fear led these people to a place where they, their culture couldn't depict change. Their culture didn't get, invite in change into anything. They were so stuck in that culture of law, of what they did. They church. Now somebody come and do miracles in the name of their God and it's making too much waves. Sorry, Jesus, you can't come. We'll come to you, but don't come to our town. Now I want to look at the three stories of Jesus this morning. Three stories in the gospel, and it will show us the key secret ingredient that we need to bring change. That we need to act in our lives. Are you ready for it? Let's go. Number one is Matthew 20, verse 29 to 34. And it says the following. As they were leaving Jericho and speaking about Jesus and his disciples, a large crowd followed him. See, Jesus had followers all over. He made waves. And two blind men were sitting by the road. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David, Messiah. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but, he, but they cried out all the more, Lord, Son of David, Messiah, have mercy on us. Then Jesus stopped, called them and asked, what do you want me to do for you? 
Isn't that something amazing? I love that phrase. What do, I, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that what Jesus, every time, every day, every morning when I open my Bible, every time when you pray, every time when you have a, a God conversation, isn't that amazing? I hear Jesus say, what do, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that amazing? Listen to what they say. They answered him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. We want to see. We are blind. And Jesus moved with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes and immediately regained their sight and followed him as his disciples. Isn't that amazing? Now, if you look at the story, we stood... Um, what stood out for me about this culture that in that time is that the crowd sternly, that's what the Amplified said, not, not just they addressed them, they sternly addressed them because they frustrated them. This poor guy sitting at the corner, they stink, oh man, they're blind, they always ask for money, they're always there, they always frustrate us, and now the, the prophet is coming through and these guys start shouting. Just place yourself in this picture. Jesus, son of David, have mercy of... Hey, shh, shh, You're not allowed to shout like this. You see, these men were pushed out by a holy culture of that time. Pushed out. In our culture, you can't shout like that. Shut up, man. Shh. You know, we don't shout in church. We don't do that. You can't move too quick in church, then otherwise you dance, and that's not right in church, you know? Don't do that. Shh. How can you speak to the prophet like that? This is God Almighty. This is the Messiah, man. Story number two. Luke 7, 11 to 17. Jesus again. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a city called Nyan, near Nazareth, and his disciples and a large crowd accompanied him. Now, as he approached the city gate, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of, a, um, of his other, and, his, and she was a widow, of his mother, sorry. <laughs> there, my PowerPoint failed me again. The only son of his mother, <laughs> the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Now, a large crowd from the city was with her in the funeral procession. When the Lord saw her, listen to this, he had felt great compassion for her and he said to her do not weep and he came up and touched the beer that's not the drinking beer that's the thing that they carry the body on they touched the beer on which the body rested and the poor bearer stood still and he said young man i say to you arise from death the man who, who was said sorry the man who was dead sat up and began to speak and jesus gave him back to his mother then fear and profound awe gripped them all. Just think about it. You're a dead man's been carried out, and they sing, everybody's crying. Jesus comes. He's had great compassion on the lady. He touches the thing the, the, where the body lies on, and probably the body as well. The body stand up and start speaking. <laughs> I would be fearful as well. I don't think about you, but profound awe gripped them all, and they began glorifying and honoring and praising God, saying, a great prophet, Arisen, has arisen among us. A great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people and helped and care and provided for them. This news about him, listen to this, spread through all Judea and all the surrounding countryside. He was, I mean, this is the news. 
Jesus walked by, dead guy, mother, everybody crying. He had great compassion, walked over, he touched the body. The guy stood up, started speaking. People freaked out, fearful, I think, running around, shouting, fearful, praising God. I mean, this must have been an incredible moment. Incredible. Now, when you look at the story from a cultural perspective, we see that the mother lost her only son. But not, this was not just a son, this was a provider, and this was her only way of living and surviving. How can I say that? Why? Because women was not allowed to work at that stage. Culture depicted women was not allowed to work, women could not earn any honor in their families. She could not earn a living without a man in her life. She couldn't. Now her son died. She was literally, she probably walked the death procession with him because she was not long before she would die because she could not earn, earn a living. That's how much Jesus had an impact on culture in that moment. Then story number three. And a leper came to him begging him and falling on his knees before Jesus or him, saying, if you are willing, you are able to make me clean. Moved with compassion for his suffering, Jesus reached out with his hand and touched him. And he said to him, I'm willing, be cleansed. The, lepers, the leprosy left him immediately and he was cleansed, completely healed and restored to health. And Jesus, deeply moved, moved admonished him sternly, and send him away immediately, saying to him, See that you don't tell anyone about this, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your purification what Moses commanded as proof to them that you are really healed. But he went out, began to proclaim it freely, and to spread the news of his healing to such an extent that Jesus could not longer openly enter a city. Why? Because the culture shoved him out where he was known sorry any city he was known but but he stayed out in unpopulated places yet people still were still coming to him from everywhere now the cultural basis of this story is serious business <laughs> this is serious you need to put yourself in this jewish culture of what jesus has done how many of you have seen the the, the series the chosen I wish I could show you this moment in that, I think it was in episode 5 somewhere, probably one of my, uh, if you go into Easter, go and download the app The Chosen and watch through that series, it will bless you tremendously. It will show you a different picture of Jesus and, and, and show you a bit more about the culture, but a leprosy, man with leprosy came up to the disciples and Jesus. Now leprosy was so contagious that it was a law for a leper, it was law for a leper not to, not to come close to anyone. It was by law. And by law that means that if I come closer to people, people can kill me on the spot. That's how serious leprosy was. Now looking at these three stories, we can see the effect that Jesus had on these individuals. Incredible. When I read through them and read through them, and I thought, Lord, this is so amazing. If I could go back in time, I would just visit every one of that moments just to experience how much you shifted culture in that moment. You see, it had a ripple effect on culture in that time. Why? Because it went into the way things has been done. You don't walk into a funeral and raise the dead. He did. 
I think Jesus messed up any funeral he walked into because he raised the dead. Funeral turned into a party. You see, these two blind men was beggars that was locked, but was looked down on. They, was lo- they were locked down as well. Locked down and looked down. They were looked down every day of their lives. They couldn't bath. They were smelly. They didn't look well. They couldn't brush their teeth. I mean, I, I think it was bad. Why? Because they couldn't see and nobody wanted to help them. And people were frustrated with these guys. And sometimes we look at you know, two blind men in the Bible, but there's so many down and out people in our town. So many. That sometimes, to be honest, frustrates us. Frustrates each other sometimes. I've been to the shelter on Friday and uh, Thursday night and it was so amazing. Just encouraging those people and said, you know, although you don't have anything in your life, you've got some, the, the one most important thing. You've got the love of God. And it doesn't change any situation now that you look at, but I can give you food that changes the situation right now. But the food comes by saying, God loves you. He loves you. But these guys were not that lucky. They didn't have a shelter to go and stay at. They lived there in the same corner every day. They were shouted at. They were cursed at. They were frustrating people around them. But guess what? They went from beggars to disciples. From beggars to Jesus' disciples. The men that people pushed out in a culture, Jesus rose them up, they cleaned them up, and he made him them disciples. and said, come change the world with me. Come change the world with me. The resurrection of the widow's son brought what? Fear and profound awe. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's two different things. They were fearful, yes. Those guys was just dead just now. He was lying on that beer. That, that's actually a word that means that it's a, it's a bed that they carry you to the grave. He was lying on that thing dead. And usually before burial, the Jewish culture wait four days. He was dead for four days, three days. On the fourth day, they buried him. Why? Because the Jewish culture was a weird thing. They believed that the spirit still hovers around. Until the fourth day, then the spirit goes to heaven. And, and there's always a chance for them to come back. <laughs> so on the day of burial, that's too late. It's gone. They're they dead. And Jesus came and he did something incredible. Fear was there, but there was also profound awe. How is this possible? So it was an immediate change from grief to praising God. Isn't that amazing? From grief to praising God in one moment a culture changed so much. See, it was so profound that the news reached all the outer towns in that area. Everybody knew this just happened. That a man who was dead for three days and the fourth day, he rose out of the dead because one man touched him. Who is that man? It's Jesus. And that's how Jesus got to make waves. Now, if you look at our culture today, and we look at the effect that Jesus had on these people, what was the secret ingredient? Did you see that? Compassion. Compassion. That was the secret ingredient that Jesus had before he did a miracle. Every time, there was compassion. There was compassion. See, compassion is a key ingredient in our ability as sons of God to release the kingdom. 
It's a key ingredient. If you want to go out on a mission without compassion, you're going to struggle. If you want to go out and pray for people and you don't have any compassion, you are going to struggle. Guess what? You're only going to do it once. And it's going to be a drag. But we need compassion. See, compassion provides the motivation to reach out to those with the need of miraculous intervention. We need that compassion. Now this, being filled with compassion is essential for living a supernatural lifestyle. It's essential. If you want to see signs, wonders, miracles in your life, we need to ask God, Lord, give me more compassion. Give me compassion for people around me. Now, like Jesus, we have what people need. And if you've been to our sermons in the last couple of weeks, we have what people, we have what people need. God comes and activates. His life comes and activates something in you that nobody else can do. His light comes and empowers us to shine. Remember last week? There's something in us. You can have the worst day of your life, but you still shine Jesus. It has to make an impact around you. See, we have all that we need to make an impact, but it is compassion that releases what is inside of us. It is compassion that releases the power of God to heal and to save and to set free. When I walk on campus, when I walk on places where I see so much sin and so much lost people, there's a compassion in my heart to say, Lord, how can we make a change? How can I bring this young generation to a place where they rather jump and shout for Jesus than jump and shout in a, in a club? And they need alcohol for that. Here we need the Holy Spirit. We need, and, 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 and listen, since I've been in my BC days, jumping and shouting and running around in clubs, I had fun, but I had so much more fun in church. And God didn't take everything away from me, so now you're not allowed to have fun anymore. No, I had more fun, more of myself I found in Him than apart from Him. You see, in all, these, all three these accounts, Jesus did a very significant thing. And this is the second. He had compassion on them. But guess what he did else? He touched them. In every of these circumstances, Jesus touched them. Now, if you know how significant this is in the Jewish culture, you would go, oh, wow. Why? Because in the Jewish culture, <laughs> when you touched anything that was dead or sick or any of those matters, you were declared unclean. That means that you have to separate yourself. That means that you have to lock down yourself for 14 days outside of town. You have to go and build a little tent and sit there for 14 days because you are unclean. But I just touched the body. No, no, you're unclean. Go. That was the culture. Now, so for Jesus to touch these men was absolutely unheard of. Absolutely unheard of. I think that's why if you look at the chosen, it was so funny. When Jesus walked over to the leper, his disciples freaked out. Don't go close to him. Don't go. And he still touched them. Now, the miracle of the leper, the, the, um, well, the miracle with the man with leprosy was probably the most amazing for me. It was something that touched my heart so deeply. You see, leprosy or lepers were seen as social outcasts. Totally. How many of you have been social outcasts? Not a lot of us. One or two. 
but nobody likes you, nobody wants to speak to you, you allow, you, you, you're not allowed in town, you need to stay in the bush. That means to be a social outcast. Nobody in the, is allowed to talk to you, look at you. If you come close to any person, you have to shout, unclean, so that they can see you and run away. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what it means to be a social outcast. Now, the leper in Mark 1 went against all cultural, all cultural rules to gain access to Jesus. He gave up everything. He, he actually had, he took the risk to being killed, to come even close to where people was. Now, lepers were, were by law required to yell out when people come close. They were about, they had to yell, unclean, unclean, don't come close to me. Now, as a result, lepers were also spiritual outcasts. They're allowed to come to church. They're not allowed to worship. They didn't know God. But this leopard heard, leper, not leopard, this leper. Leopards are things we have in the mountains here. Not lepers, yeah. <laughs> That's where Afrikaans meets English. But this leper heard of Jesus' goodness. He heard of Jesus' goodness, of a man who rose up out of the dead, and he knew that if I can only get to Jesus, it's like the woman with the issue of blood, if I can only get to Jesus, I can see a miracle in my life. The only thing that stood between the leper and healing was the following, if Jesus was willing. If Jesus was willing. I mean, that's a tough thing if you are an outcast and you're hungry and you do this. If only you are willing today to give. If only you are willing to give me what you have, I can be free. I can be saved. And this leper took the risk to get to Jesus. And then what Jesus did, he was willing and Jesus took the risk to touch him. And we know the end of the story. Now, sure, everyone, in, and, and everyone at the scene was wondering. The leper came. Everybody shouts. Every, everybody, I think, was sitting in that moment and said, Jesus, was like, what are you going to do with this one? Because the disciples were shouting at him, and they were looking at Jesus and shouting at him. And I think they were look, thinking, especially Matthew was a thinker. Peter was the, the, the on-fire one, and I think he wanted to, to throw the guy with stuff and and everybody was looking, Jesus, what are you going to do? And Jesus went over and he responded by touching an untouchable man. Now in the NIV, if you go to the NIV and you go to um, the scripture that, that said that Jesus had compassion on him. Now in the NIV it says Jesus was filled with compassion. Filled with compassion. He received something he didn't have before at that moment. See, when you are filled with something, it means that you didn't have that before. You were filled with compassion. And I thought, wow, really, Jesus? Wasn't he God? No, no, Jesus was filled with compassion. You see, compassion became the motivating force for the release of the kingdom of, and, 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 and of the cure. Now, there's a phrase, if you look at this phrase, filled with compassion, in NIV, there's a Greek verb. It's actually, there's one Greek verb. If you go to the Greek and you read the scripture, there's one Greek verb, and the word is splanchnezumai. Splanchnezumai. It's a Greek word. And, and the only word, he didn't say, and Jesus was filled with compassion. He just says, and Jesus was splanchnezumai. It doesn't sound great. <laughs> 
Now, this was a Greek action word. It was not a, a normal word. It was an action word. It was an action word. You have to get, catch this this morning. Jesus was not just standing there and had sympathy. Oh, man, I have so much sympathy on this guy. I have so much sympathy. No, no, he had splunk nizumai. He was filled with compassion to such a degree that he had to act. He had to do something. Now, you might ask, why Jesus? Because Jesus was man, human, just like us. How many of you don't feel very compassionate on a daily basis? Let's just be honest. I don't feel very compassionate every moment of every day. I don't. <laughs> why not? Did you know that compassion is not a normal human trait? It's not. Go to the scientific, um, if you go to psychology and you look, and I've studied psychology, to be compassionate is not a normal human trait. A normal human trait is I need to sort myself out. I need to make sure that I eat today. I need to do this. To have compassion is not a normal trait. That's why Jesus had to be filled with compassion to show that I can change a culture with an ingredient that changed people. Isn't that powerful? You see, Jesus in his humanity needed an impartation of what he did not possess on his own. The same with us. <laughs> I need compassion every day. We must receive an impartation of the Father's compassion. If you want to live a supernatural lifestyle, if you want to live a naturally supernatural lifestyle where you don't walk by someone who's struggling to walk anymore, but you turn around and you pray for them and you see a miracle, that comes with compassion. Colossians 3 verse 12 says, oh, oh there, there's the word. It, see, I didn't lie. Splunk nezumai. There we go. You can go and practice that later on. Colossians 3 verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, that's us, if you serve God, if you know all of us has been chosen by God, he says, holy and dearly loved, then he says, clothe yourself with compassion. Paul, he said, make sure you are God's holy people, but then still clothe yourself with compassion. Make sure you have compassion. See, the Father has provided a garment of compassion for us, but we must put it on to be able to give what the Father has. If you are cold and you walk out into the winter nights, and I say, man, I'm really cold. So where's your jacket? No, no, in my car. So, but put on the jacket. And sometimes you're like, why did you walk by that person? I mean, I don't, didn't feel very compassionate today. See, that's why God said this morning when you pray, when you read your Bible, clothe yourself with compassion. That you will see the need and the glory of God in that need. See, if you want to be a game changer in a culture of today we, we live in, we must be clothed with compassion. Only then we will only truly make a difference and bring transformation. There's two questions I want to end with today. Two questions. Number one is, are you clothed? Are you clothed with compassion on a daily basis? And then number two, are you willing? Are you willing? Are we willing to step out of that moment when we feel that compassion. Because there's so many times when we experience compassion, but we're too scared to step out and see the miracle. I remember I was a sports psychologist for, for many years and um, while being in ministry, and I was working with one of the varsity cup teams, 
one of the top varsity cup teams a couple of years ago. And we were at Tix, I remember so well. I was at Tix and we were prepping for the, for the game and the team went out with the trainers, they warm up. And I stayed in the cloakroom preparing all the supplements and that was one of my duties. I was a supplements manager. Sounds very, um, very, the, C, C, but the CO2, not the O2 manager. <laughs> the O2 manager, I prepped all the water, the supplements, took all the sponsored product that we had, mixed it up. So I was in a cloakroom alone and I was mixing up this container with proteins and man, I was smelling like protein. I was mixing, I was serving the guys, you know. And there was a guy walked into the cloakroom because there was bathrooms and he came in to clean the bathrooms. And as I was mixing this big container, this guy walked in right in front of me and I thought, what, what, what are you doing? And I realized, oh, it's probably the cleaner. But he walked in like this. And, and he's literally like this. And I could hear him, ah, ah, like this. And I was like, look at him. And I was mixing this container, busy with my potion, yeah. <laughs> and, and I looked at him and said, oh, hey, what's happening with you, man? And I was just made conversation. And the guy said, yo, yo, no, I've got very much pain, very much pain. I said, no, but stop here. Come sit here. Come sit here. And before I said it, I realized I had so much compassion in this guy still having to clean all these toilets with the previous team that's been in there that made a mess. I didn't even want to go in there. And he was on there going to clean the toilets with a foot. He couldn't even step on that thing. And I said, no, no, man, come sit down quickly. And I sat beneath him. I said, what's your name? And as I started speaking to him, I could feel God's compassion just come over me. I was tearing up. I was like, man, how can you work with like this? He said, no, man, I have to eat. I have a family that I need to feed. And I said, well, I want to honor you this morning for, for standing up and still doing your job. But you know what? I can give you something that no one else can give you today. And he's like, he thought I'm going to give him money. He said, yeah, yeah, you need some food and they can't buy. I said, no, I've got even more better, more greater gift for you. And there's nobody else. I mean, the team is supposed to run into that cloakroom any moment. And I thought, well, I'm taking a risk here. The coach is going to ask me, what am I doing? The bottles need to be finished. I only have, like, I'm on a very tight schedule. And I just said, listen, just shut your eyes. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to trust with you that God heals your foot. Is that fine? And he looked at me and said, that'll be great. And I prayed a stupid prayer. I'm saying stupid, but no, no prayer is stupid. But it's like a simple prayer. That's a better word. A very simple prayer. I said, Father, thank you that you love this man. And thank you that we have the authority to heal the sick. And I want to command this foot to be healed. In Jesus' name. Amen. And I said, just test it quickly. Feel how it feels. And a guy sat down and was like, serious? And he said, yeah, yeah, stand up and walk around. And he stood up and he started walking around, then started running around the cloakroom, started shouting, yo, 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 la, la, la. He had all those kind of, the, the Tswanas are very um, exuberant in, in celebration. I love that. And he was like jumping up and down. He took his emmer, um, he sing, and he cleaned the toilets. And, and, it, and as he went into the toilets, the team came in and it was team time and the bottles were ready and, and the guy was cleaning toilets, and as he was walking out, he was like walking like this. And he waved at me like this. Man, I love that. It was, it's one of my favorite memories. You know what happened? I made a decision to clothe myself with compassion. And it could have been anyone, but I could have had compassion on him, and I could have said, oh man, I will pray for you. Eh? Good luck. I'm at that night. Oh man, I'll pray for you. 
See, Jesus could walk past the, the, the blind men and say, don't worry, I'll pray for you. Okay, cheers, man, cheers. Jesus could walk by the procession of the dead son and stand by and say, let's just honor the dead. Let's just pray for them quickly. Let's just pray. No, no, Jesus had compassion to such a degree that he had splanchnesumai. Splanchnesumai is a word that says, I can't just stand here and sympathize. I need to do something. I need to do something. How many of us as children in here, we have come natural compassion for our kids? We do. Sometimes, well, sometimes when they are very naughty, <laughs> but I really need to clothe myself with compassion. But there's a natural compassion for my kids. And as soon as they get hurt, sometimes, I mean, shame, don't tell her, but yesterday we do the setup here on Sundays, and my one daughter was setting up one of the banners, and that heavy things that you hit into the ground. That thing went from the back on a big toe. I mean, that, it was a serious hour of pain. She was lying and yelling and crying, and there was immediate compassion for her. I clothed myself with compassion easy because it's my child. But see, God has compassion on me. Yes, thank you, Sumi. God had compassion on me with that. He had compassion over me for my child. And, and you know, when we walk in society, when we walk through town, when we, when we visit friends, when you see moments where people struggle, there is compassion, but sometimes we need splanchnizumai. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking like a Greek here today. We need that verb, that action word of compassion that says, I want to care for someone. If I hear someone passed away, I want to go and care and show some compassion. Why? Because it's part of my DNA as Christian that I want to be compassionate. And I always ask myself, why do I always just want to be compassionate when someone passed away or when this? But when somebody really goes through a tough time, I usually, I always said this, man, I'm so sorry you're going through this. I'll pray for you. Eh? I'll pray for you. How many of us don't do that? I'll pray for you. I've got you. But nowadays, it's like, man, I'm so sorry you're going through this. Come, sit down quickly. Come, come. Let me pray for you. Take your hand. Father, I thank you. You see, that's Splunk Nizumai. That's compassion with action. And that is one of our values, to build a culture that shows compassion. Not a culture where we just run past each other because we live in a rat race every day that says we run past each other. And sometimes we forget the miracles God want to do through the compassion moments in our lives. Am I talking to someone? I'm preaching to myself today. And sometimes compassion is always sometimes to say no as well and to educate and to steer. And that's a different conversation of a different time. So we've got a ministry in church called Waymakers. And Waymakers is called to stir compassion in our hearts. And I want to invite you to become part of that, that ministry. Where we will go out to the shelter once a month. I've been there on Thursday night and it was amazing to be able to encourage and give food and see people's faces shine up because they've been on the street all day. They've worked really hard to get a shelter ticket to be in that shelter to that, that evening. And to give them a plate of food, two plates of food. Deborah baked, baked some cookies, she and, and, and Darren. They loved the cookies. 
they could one day a guy said man I couldn't believe I, I, don't, I can't even remember how long ago I had cookies like this I love that but see if we didn't be in, if we haven't wouldn't come on Afrikaans if we haven't been compassionate or intentional in that I would have missed that and it sometimes brings me to a place how many times I missed that now sometimes church here yeah, we can be compassionate towards each other but the true compassion happens out there out there in our lives as we drive our car as we shop in the mall how many times have I sit, sat in a coffee shop and I had serious conversation I sat there for two three meetings and when I wanted to pay the guy says oh no sorry your, your bill is paid for I was like what who paid for it no, no, there was a guy sitting there this morning. He saw you and he just said, listen, put all, everything he has on my tab. Finding out that's one of my brothers that I see once a week and he just felt he wanted to bless me. He's compassionate. Sometimes I sit in a restaurant, I see people. I just want to be compassionate towards them. I want to encourage you this morning. I don't know about you, sometimes something is stirring in our hearts when you speak about these things. I will need to be more compassionate. I don't know about you. And if I don't feel more compassionate, I always said, Father, wouldn't you clothe me with compassion, as Paul said in Colossians. I need to be clothed in compassion every day so that I can make an impact. I can make a lasting change. Sometimes it's just going over to give a hug. Many times I've stopped and I saw people along the street. The only thing I have is my mask. And I would call them over and say, listen, I've got a mask for you. Do you want this? Oh, thank you. It's the only thing. To be compassionate is to find out what does God want to do. Amen. Can I pray with you? And you're welcome to stand up. Father, I thank you this morning that we can pray together. Father, we're not just praying and finishing and, oh, we can go home. Father, I pray that this word will penetrate our hearts, will find a landing spot in our emotions, in our hearts this morning. That this is not just another nice sermon, Lord, but this must be a value in our hearts that, that changes a culture and a generation around us. And Father, I pray that you will haunt us with this thought how can I be compassionate today how can I be compassionate today thank you Holy Spirit to remind us to show us to guide us into every day of saying Father how can I be compassionate and if it's just being compassionate to your children being compassionate to your spouse or being compassionate to your work colleague at, at work today. Father, help us to build that compassion culture around us. Help us to clothe ourselves with compassion today and the days to come. And may we shine Jesus. May we touch situations and impact people. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. 
For more detail, visit www.klcstellenbosch.co.za.